My name is Panos. My name is Sebastian. Welcome to Curiosity. So today we're going to talk about uh, brain issues. Brain issues. Yeah. So I was uh, I was watching. No, I was listening to a podcast uh, again because mm-hmm. that's again what I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were talking about Charlotte's Web, which oh, is okay. this, which is a strain of marijuana that allows a young girl, if I, I think it's about twelve years old, okay, uh, allows her to not have seizures. Very cool. Um, so they've you know they've gene- not genetically but through. Um, through selective breeding, they found exactly what strain of marijuana allows Works for that. Allows this girl to not have seizures, but also to not get really high. Cool. Um, so <laughs> wait, what? No. Okay. So I was thinking about that, and I remember a house episode where they cut a brain, like the the connection between the left and right brain, right, to stop seizures. Okay. That made me think. Don't ruin it. We're going to talk about it later. I'm going to talk about it later. Yes. Don't worry. But it made me think of house episodes. Yeah. So I thought. Good, a good idea to do like favorite house episodes or most interesting house episodes. And just also to figure out if, if there's any fake ones, because I feel like there's so many episodes that I'm like, that can't be real. You're absolutely right. And so, uh, so all our listeners, uh, beware, there is one condition among the ones we will be looking at that is actually not a real condition. So you have a little bit of excitement in that. Dun, dun, dun. Put it on. Uh, so, uh, you know, when I approached Sebastian about this, he, uh, he told me of this really, really famous first example of when, when we started to understand all the different parts of the brain. Yeah, that's, um, that classic example is, is Phineas Gage, uh, it's psychology 101, neuroscience 101. He was one of the very first, uh, science or scientific examples of what could happen with isolated brain injuries. Hmm. And so Phineas Gage was a young, good-looking gentleman um, in uh, 1848, and he was working in the railroad railroad industry. And so one day, he was uh, setting up a blast, uh, and it involves essentially boring a hole deep into the outcropping of the rock. So what okay. you do is you, you make a hole, you place, um, you place gunpowder, and then you, you pack it in with this three-foot quarter inch rod what was this rod made out of it's iron it's mm. a, it's an iron rod i see it's an inanimate iron rod um that's simpsons no nothing i got nothing i'm sorry okay. and um and so essentially what happened was as he was packing down the gunpowder the rod uh, the rod uh was was grating against the rock it ignited of course but and that's why i asked the material because it's just it's an accident waiting to happen <laughs> i don't think they do that anymore but anyway and so it shot out oh. right through his left cheek and into the right hemisphere of his brain and right through. So he died. He did not. What? Yeah. He survived. In fact, he was conscious during the whole aftermath. Can uh, you say splitting headache? Ah, <laughs> terrible. Terrible. Um, yeah, he was, he was very conscious. Uh, obviously, uh, his left occipital uh, lobe, which is his eye, was kind of mangled. And, uh, you know, his right uh, cranium was, was, again, shot right through. But he was fine, hmm. uh, um, physiologically anyway. However, they started to notice uh, months later that his behavior changed. So hmm. once everything had, let's say, superficially healed, yeah. um, he became very aggressive. He became um, uh, very uh, insulting to others. He lacked his ability to, to empathize for others. Hmm. Really interesting. So it was one of the very first examples where they damaged a very specific part of the brain, and they saw a very specific 
change or behavioral change. Cool. So it makes me think of uh, the first episode we're going to talk about is an episode called Locked In. Mm. Uh, and House happens to have just really, at times, really famous people coming in for cameos. And this one was uh, famously with Mo's death. Oh, and, yeah. The uh, rapper or? Well, whatever he does these okay, days. What, yeah. Okay. Uh, and it. so it's called Locked In basically because the whole episode uh, is from the point of view of Mo's death, but he is completely paralyzed. Interesting. Okay. Uh, and this so he cannot speak. He cannot speak. Can't move anything. Can't move anything. Okay, so and we're talking complete paralysis. Complete paralysis. And this is called locked in syndrome. Mm. And it's a condition uh, in which a patient is aware but cannot move or communicate verbally due to complete paralysis of nearly all vol- voluntary muscles in the body except for the eyes. Here uh, in this episode, he actually had total locked-in syndrome, which includes the eyes. Which includes the eyelids. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Well, it includes the eyes. Eyes. Oh, so he can't even move his eyes? No, he can't even move his eyes. Wow. Uh, so they... So I was going to say like Stephen Hawking-ish, because he has um, Lou Gehrig's disease, but uh, he can still move, I believe, his right cheek. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, so this locked-in syndrome is caused by damage to a specific portion of the brain, okay. uh, the lower brain and the brain stem. Uh, with no damage to the upper brain. So basically, you've lost many of your motor functions, but you can completely think, and you have complete awareness. Uh, this one is mostly due to diseases like multiple multiple sclerosis and mm-hmm. Lou Gehrig's disease, as you were talking about, right, okay. as well as uh, strokes, neurotoxins, or brain injuries. Wasn't there a gentleman who wrote a book with this condition, the lock with locked-in syndrome? I think he was able to write a complete book about as his experience, but through his eyelids. Hmm. So they were they were. Literally just taking down almost like a uh, uh, a memoir of sorts. Yeah, it was a memoir, uh, but based on his blinking, and uh, they had they had developed some kind of you know writing technique. Uh, but he literally wrote a book uh, through blinking. Hmm, and there was also um, in the movie about Stephen Hawking showing how he actually writes as well. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a same. It's a similar kind of process. It takes a very long time, but yeah, it can work, I suppose. And of course, in true house fashion. Uh, turns out he had a disease uh, called leptospiriasis, uh, f- basically a neurotoxin from a rat bite that he got. Okay. Uh, because he was working hard at a factory, so that was it. Was kind of one of these from like, a rat bite. Well, of course they find the most ridiculous thing <laughs> that could happen. That must have been like a New York rat. It's totally a New York rat. <laughs> uh, but so that was the. That's how it concluded. Is like, oh yeah, let's just give him broad spectrum antibiotics just do it yeah give me the drugs give me the drugs it'll solve everything yeah so that's the end of that episode cool okay um so i found a really interesting episode the condition itself is very broad but it results in a lot of other interesting conditions so the one i'm I'm referring to is a stroke oh a stroke uh episode 63 fetal position oh yeah, so a stroke, also known as a uh, cerebrovascular accident, which I think is really funny, uh, yeah. or a cerebrovascular insult. Kind of Ins- <laughs> yeah, it's a medical term. I'm not making it up. It's an insult. Um, so for those that aren't familiar with what a stroke is, it's essentially a blockage okay. uh, of blood okay, um, or a bleeding of blood. So there's there's two types. It's the ischemic and the uh, hemorrhagic or Hemorrhagic. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. So one, the ischemic is uh, you literally, your your vasculature, there's a blockage. Let's say the piping. Okay. So if there's any kind of flow of blood, it can't get through hmm. and your brain can't get the blood it needs so or is, oxygen. So is a stroke specifically a brain thing? Yes. Uh, well, uh, many things can cause a stroke. Okay. Uh, but the stroke itself is very specific parts of the brain that aren't getting the oxygen they need. 
but they can start from any part of the body. Yes, they can. So uh, strokes can be caused because of high blood pressure or you know uh, heart issues. A lot of people with heart conditions are, are very susceptible to strokes. Um, and so in this episode, then, there's a woman who's a photographer. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, she's actually very knowledgeable about the symptoms of a stroke. Thankfully, uh, her. So there's a, there's a, a mnemonic. Uh, it's called FAST. Okay. So F for face. Okay. So if you've ever noticed, or excuse me, if you've ever noticed, if you've ever had someone have a stroke in front of you, they have a partial paralysis of their face. Okay. Uh, so if they try to smile, for instance, half of their their uh, their mouth will kind of droop. So um, kind of like a little bit of a Jean Chrétien kind of thing. Ooh. Well, yes. no, that's a good example of of what it might look like. That's that's a very yes. Because well, no, isn't that they should what, call it the Chrétien? <laughs> well, no, isn't that exactly? You're absolutely right. Yeah, there's a drooping. Uh, I'm hoping he wasn't in a constant state of stroke, but yes. No, but I think it was a stroke that actually made him have that, really? if I'm not mistaken. Oh. Yeah. Well, then I feel bad for making that joke. <laughs> okay. So A. A is for arm. Uh, and what she did is she actually stuck both her hands, uh, both her arms out, and she was not able to actually keep both level. Oh. Uh, she she had a complete dysphoria of, of kind of what was proper in her body Mm. um so it was the a was her arms were one was above the other where she was trying her best to keep them completely uh parallel to each other cool yeah and uh s uh stands for speech so she had a a slurring of her words uh she was trying to talk and t is for time Mm -hmm. which is essentially to say get to the hospital as fast as possible um, so that they can give you essentially, I think the, I believe the first step is to give you blood thinners mm-hmm. or to try and uh, degrade the clot, uh, yeah. so that your brain can um, can get the oxygen it needs. So because the uh, when it comes to the cellular biology of the of the brain, it needs it takes about four to six minutes before your cells start to take damage, uh, hmm. and of course, uh, if that starts to happen, depending on the area of the brain, well, you're going to suffer of just a myriad of, of, of issues. So it's it's more of uh, an issue of where the stroke affects um, than anything else, and, and that'll have different effects on what you can see, That's what your sensations are, yeah. and That's right. so on and so forth. And so I wanted to very briefly mention a gentleman by the name of Howard Engel. Um, he, um, he is a writer, and he wrote a memoir following a stroke that he had, but he huh. woke up one morning... And when he woke up to get his newspaper, as he did every day, uh, the letters in front of him were complete jargon. He hmm. couldn't read. So it was because he had a stroke while he was sleeping. And as a, as a, as a result, suffered what's known as Alexia Synagraphia, which is the inability to read or to comprehend words, uh, even writing it as well. Interesting. Yeah. And so uh, very, very, very briefly, I just wanted to just throw in a whole bunch of random... Uh, conditions that can occur because of a stroke. Because you have such isolated... A stroke is really... Okay, as terrible as it is, it's a beautiful way of figuring out what very isolated parts of the brain are for. Hmm. So, uh, example number one, prosopagnosia. Great Greek word. It's a Greek word. Um, Prosopon, which is face. Agnosia, which is not knowing. And it's the inability to recognize faces. So, I mean, that in itself is just amazing. The fact that you have an isolated part of the brain that is extremely responsible or highly responsible for recognizing just a face or any faces. Yeah. Number two, Astasia, Abasia, patience, uh, which is really, really cool. 
They are always on the constant verge of falling. And it has nothing to do with their inner ear. Nothing. No, it's not a matter of balance. Huh. Um, well, it is in a sense, but it has nothing to do with the, uh, the, um, the feedback uh, of your inner ear, which is normally what's responsible for keeping you level. Uh, but yes, yeah, so they, they are capable of walking, yeah. uh, but at, at any time, they always feel like they're on the constant verge of falling, but they never fall. Huh. They always catch themselves. Weird. So that's, that's the, the really cool part. And uh, maybe you'll end one last one here. I'm Elodia. Which I feel like I have. <laughs> and I feel like 70 to 80% of the people that are, might be listening to us, I mean, like, crap, I had a stroke yesterday or since the day I was born. Uh, um, Melodia, I'm assuming, it has to do with something with music? Yes. It's the inability to n- uh, name that tune. Oh, I'm a, I definitely don't have that issue all yeah, the time. Yeah, you're good with this? I'm I, good. I am useless. I am absolutely useless. I know it. It's always on the tip of my tongue. But, um, yeah, it, you're literally always... On the, on the verge, again, to be like, oh, yeah, I know it, but I can never name it. And so one example of this was a woman uh, who was a, a 91-year-old musicologist who had suffered a stroke. Huh. And following that stroke, she was unable to name the tune. She could still play. She could still understand, but she couldn't name the tune. Bizarre. Uh, yeah, very, very bizarre, especially if you're a musicologist. Yeah. which kind of ruins things. So anyway. Well, speaking of music, the uh, the next episode I thought of was uh, the one I talked about at the opening of the show. It's an episode called Half Wit. Uh, and basically, there is a music savant, a pianist savant that is incredible at playing music. Mm-hmm. Um, but he starts having seizures. Uh, and we find out later in the episode that uh, he had the right part of his brain damaged in a bus accident. Okay. Um, so this actually made it so that he had issues um, functioning properly in society. Okay. But gain this incredible gift of being able to play the piano really well music music savant music savant yeah uh and just as a uh recap different parts of the brain left brain is used for logic analysis mathematical things and language uh right brain is creativity imagination rhythm feelings nonverbals. Uh, so they discovered that the damage was actually on the right side of his brain mm. uh, and it was the right side of the brain that was producing the seizures Interesting. So for those playing at home, a seizure is a sudden surge of electrical activity in the brain. Um, and it can happen in it can affect many parts of the body because, you know, the brain controls all the different parts of the body. So you can actually have uh, seizures in the abdominal. You can have any motor or sensory uh, seizures. And there's uh, two different types of seizures. Okay. Uh, basically, there are generalized seizures, which are uh, seizures that happen in both the left and right brain. Uh, and there are focal or partial seizures that happen only in one hemisphere of the brain. Mm. Uh, one thing to note is that partial seizures can turn into uh, full or generalized seizures. Makes sense. Um, and yeah, and so you're able to, uh, even if only one part of the brain is being seizured, it can transfer over and you can get a full seizure so, so from can it. So can it isolate and, and damage very specific parts of the brain as well? Or Yeah, uh, it can give you actually different sensory um, feelings. So if you have a partial seizure, you can uh, not be able to specifically taste Oh, because okay. you're having a seizure in, par- in that part of the brain. Cool. Um, and there's basically two different types of seizures themselves as well. Um, there are absent seizures where you completely go unconscious, but you are not convulsing. So it's not one of these um, ones that you typically see on TV. And you have no memory of it. This is actually really interesting that I learned about this. This happens in some children. Uh, so in children, it's possible that they have these absent seizures. Don't actually uh, remember anything that happened. And... And yeah, and basically they said to help determine whether a child is experiencing an absent seizure 
or daydreaming, just touch the child on the shoulder. If the child responds, <laughs> probably daydreaming. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Which I thought was like, oh, you know, brain condition or just in the clouds. <laughs> yeah. It's just one of them. Um, the other type of seizure is a tonic-clonic or a convulsive seizure. And okay. this is also known as a grand mal seizure. So this is the one that is typically known uh, is the ones that lose consciousness and right from the beginning start seizing. Yeah, all the muscles will stiffen and release pressure on the bladder and bowels. And it's just not fun. Mm. The extremities will jerk rhythmically. One thing to note is that they can't really control their, the people that are under, undergoing these seizures. They're not able to actually function in their mouths as well. So that's why oh, whenever wow. you're talking about seizures, you're not supposed to put anything in their mouth because they won't be able to choke it back up or not be able to choke. Uh, one thing about people with seizures is, uh, is yeah, you need to give them time to rest because it's really, really physically it's demanding. Tiring, yeah. And uh, I, I, what I thought was really interesting about seizures in general was uh, that some people actually can sense a seizure coming on before it really? arrives. Yeah. How do, they, how do they sense it? What's the? Um, I, to be honest, I I couldn't find any information on it. Uh, but they call it an aura. So uh, wow. it it may be emotional. Uh, some fear and anxiety, uh, physical, some dizziness and nausea, or sensory. So they can feel a tingling or crawling sensation in their skin before they have a seizure. Interesting. Um, and it was really interesting because I, I, there was a, a point where uh, someone was like, uh, just so you know, I'm, I'm probably going to have a seizure in a minute. That and then they had creepy. a seizure. And it was absolutely bizarre to, wow. s- to be able to, um, to, foresee, yeah. to foresee such a, a medical condition mm. right off the bat. Uh, so the ending of the episode, basically, they decided that the only they they basically had to cut out the malignant part of the brain, which was the right side of the brain. So they removed the entire right hemisphere of the brain. They completely removed the right hemisphere of the brain, which was they sm- can do that. Apparently, uh, well, again, this, <laughs> this is a house episode, but a, but yeah, so they removed it's a the lobotomy, right lobotomy, but it's a, it's a yeah. lobotomy to the yeah. They took out the it's right extent. side of the brain and. Basically, the, the difficult choice was um, either the person lives a regular life or continues to be a seizuring savant. Right. Um, so they removed it, and the, there's that really happy moment at the end where, you know, before he had real troubles buttoning, buttoning up his shirt. Mm-hmm. But at the end, of course, after the surgery, after seven minutes of rehab, because that's all they have in the show, mm. uh, he can button up his own shirt. Mm. So th- apparently what can happen in the brain is if you cut out a part of it or cut out the connection, some of the parts can actually be relearned in right. that part of the brain with, yeah must be limitations to that but of course but yeah yeah well and that's actually i forgot to mention with uh phineas gage he died of seizures so he when he had the accident he was 25 and he died at the age of 36 uh, after a series of seizures so unfortunately yeah. yeah anyway they can kill they can kill so the next best episode um is the tyrant season six episode three and it involves a very, very interesting conditions. In fact, among the ones we're talking about is my favorite. Hmm. It's called phantom limb pain. And this is a condition that is shared amongst uh, individuals who have lost limbs. Okay. Uh, whether they are legs or arms. And what happens is that long after uh, they've lost the, uh, the limb, they feel pain. Hmm. A great deal of pain. Uh, some of them describe it as a constant tension, as though you were creating a fist. Huh. Uh, or others have described it as a burning sensation. Uh, anyway, the uh, the extent of which the pain is is just unbelievable. So it's basically them having their muscles tensed up until where the the actual limb was painful. being removed. Yes, yeah. exactly where where the limb used to be. 
And evidently, there is no limb there. So for them to release it is a problem. Yeah. Um, morphine doesn't work. Uh, Painkillers doesn't work. It's only transient. It helps maybe for uh, some time, but it doesn't. The condition just keeps coming back. Not only that, you can't be in a constant state of muscle relaxants. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's not a solution. Yeah. Until. Until. Until a gentleman by the name of Dr. Uh, Rakamadran. Uh, TED Talk. Another TED Talk. Another TED Talk. And it was, it was brilliant. He's a neuroscientist who understands the concept of neuroplasticity. Hmm. And neuroplasticity, as if you recall from our very first episode, is the brain's ability to... Uh, rewire itself uh, it is you know it's it's uh, this really compact uh, structure of neurons that constantly interact with one another and if something happens uh, they can uh, they can get around it hmm. they can circumvent yeah. so what he did is that he had patients that would come to him saying i have this pain and he thought well let's try and rewire the brain so he sat them down and put his, their hands, both hands or both arms, I should say, uh, on the table and placed a box. Now, the box uh, covered their limb, their phantom limb, in this case, their non-existent or the one they've lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a mirror reflecting the limb that they did have. Okay. So as they looked down, let's say, for instance, in the left hand, they can see the mere reflection of their left hand, which looks to them like their right. Yeah. And he would have them do just very basic exercises like contracting and releasing their fingers. Hmm. After time, this was rewiring the brain to convince them that they still had their lost limb and the pain would actually subside. So visually, they would actually see that they had two hands and their brain would be like, oh, yeah, that totally exists. So, yes, yeah. that's exactly right. Huh. And so this is exactly what they do in-house. Now, in-house, obviously, he he does it, and within about 10 seconds, the patient's kind of like, hallelujah, I've lost my pain. It's not necessarily that quick. However, it is that effective. Crazy. Yeah, and, and so there was a, another case of this. It's a bit of a more modern way of, of dealing with the issue. There's a gentleman by the name of Professor Steve Pettifer uh, at Manchester University who's actually developed a virtual reality uh, cure, for instance. Did they use something like the Xbox Connect or like one of these new new age uh, platforms? That's a, Yeah, very similar too. Um, I don't think it was the Connect exactly, but it was uh, much like the Oculus Rift that they've got going on, if anyone's okay. not familiar with that. It's, it's a virtual reality headset. You put it over. And the patient he was helping uh, was describing, uh, I believe it was his left arm, uh, constant burning he was taking morphine he was taking the painkillers it wasn't working Mm. and so he put on the virtual reality set and had a very pleasant game where a ball was thrown towards him Mm -hmm. and he would use his right arm the one he actually had to swat the ball away and in the virtual reality headset uh, the left arm would essentially mimic everything the right arm was doing so to him he was really just swapping the ball uh, with two hands that were reacting symmetrically. Cool. He described the pain to be completely gone uh, after about a week worth of, tr- of trying it. Okay. Now, more interestingly, is that he had to do the game or he had to perform the, the, the tasks and the games on a weekly basis or else the pain would reoccur. 
Crazy. So my question to you is that is that a neuroplasticity thing with respect to being a child? Because I know that, you know, they talk about children and how uh, children are, are more apt to learning. Yeah. Uh, so does neuroplasticity have anything to do with aging? Ah, well, the concept of neuroplasticity in children, well, uh, evidently when it comes to kids, uh, they're in a constant state of growth. Mm -hmm. uh, so their brain is not only constantly rewiring itself, but it's constantly growing. So if, for instance, the child had this type of issue, um, now I can't say for certain, but in my opinion, I would strongly believe that they would be able uh, with a much greater ease to completely rewire their brain. Cool. Uh, and to, to, to the very easy ability to do this, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Alrighty, so the last episode I got is uh, an episode called House's Head, and it's a two-part episode at the end of one of the seasons. Mm -hmm. I can't exactly remember which one it is. Uh, and basically what happens is House is in a bus accident. Mm. And in the bus accident, he has a concussion and can't recall ex a little piece of inf uh, important information about the safety of someone on the bus. Mm. Now, it's it wasn't someone on the bus that got in injured through the bus accident, but he noticed a little piece of detail that was really important to someone's health. Uh, and he couldn't remember it. And so they went through four different ways of, of actually trying to figure out what's going on or trying to uh, get his memory back uh, through hypnotism, sensory deprivation, a Vicodin overdose. And they actually charged and uh, electrocuted his brain to try and jolt his memory. Uh, and this is all having to do with uh, brainwaves in general and, and consciousness. There are four different types of brainwaves. Uh, there are beta waves uh, emitted when we're conscious, alert, or feel agitated, tense, and afraid. And beta waves are basically what we are in, in general. So if you're kind of hanging out, if you're if you're awake, uh, you're in the beta wave uh, area. The alpha waves are when we are in a state of physical and mental relaxation, uh, although aware of what's going on. So it's a little bit, I'll explain it more in, in a sleep cycle way in a second. Uh, theta is a state of solemnness with reduced consciousness. And finally, delta is uh, unconsciousness, deep sleep, or catalepsy. Uh, when we go to bed, we read for a few minutes, attempting to sleep. We're probably in a low beta state. Okay. Uh, when we put the book down, turn the light off, turn the light off, close our eyes, we go from beta to alpha, to theta, and finally, when we fall asleep, we go to delta. Mm -hmm. So we're delta. in all the different states of mind. And whenever we're talking about uh, accessing the subconscious mind, okay. we're looking to get into these deeper waves. So, so like, how about like hypnosis or whatever? So hypnosis uh, is known to, uh, to access the subconscious. So that was the first thing they, they tried because it's arguably the least taxing. Okay. And the idea behind it is that you are putting yourself in the, that low beta or alpha brainwave area um, to be able to recall things uh, in your subconscious mind. Mm. Uh, hypnotism in general is kind of, it's an argued topic. Uh, there are is a 2001 study from Ohio State suggesting that hypnosis doesn't aid memory recall. Other neuroscientists um, at the Wiseman Institute that believe it does exist. Okay. Um, I'm have, not you have you ever been hypnotized? I haven't. Have I, you? I have. Oh. I have once. It was in high school, and uh, he was like a he wasn't quite like the official hypnos like a hypnotist, mm -hmm. but he came in and he told me. I mean, he had a like a very preliminary manner of doing you know hyp hypnotizing you. And then he, he brought me forward and he, he said, I'm going to tap the side of your um, your hips. And when I do it, you're going to fall to your knees. And he did. And I just dropped like huh. a rock. And that was unbelievable. And then he goes on to the whole show. And he's like, okay, now you're playing a flute and a trumpet and whatever. And then by then I was just kind of play acting. And so were most people. But yeah, I had a moment. 
Well, and it could very well be that you were in that alpha brainwave state for a little while. And maybe. And you're just like, okay, no, this is bullshit. Yeah, um, maybe. Back up to the beta. Yeah. Um, so hypnotism is a heated, it's a heated discussion. I'm not going to say that Mythbusters is going to be the, the tying, um, the tying, the, sorry, the winning of the race, but uh, they did a couple things and they said it's it's possible. Mm. Um, so we'll say it's, uh, in the Mythbusters term, it's plausible. plausible. Uh, so the next one was sensory deprivation uh, is known to give you hallucinations. Uh, and basically a sensory deprivation is putting yourself in a, a tank of water where you're floating and being in complete darkness. Uh, one Wired arc, uh, article actually said that it uh, is comparable to doing LSD, <laughs> uh, which I think is really interesting. And, and the whole concept behind sensory deprivation is to get you into that theta brainwave state sure. and to keep you there okay. um, so that you're kind of, you're, you're deep, almost asleep, but you're completely conscious of what's going on around you. Psychiatrist Paul Fletcher of the University of Cambridge explained the idea of hallucinations come about because we misidentify the source of our own thoughts. So okay. we're thinking of things and a hallucination is us thinking oh. and thinking that we actually see what we're thinking of, which mm. is just Maybe we should do a, an entire podcast on hallucinations. Uh, I'd love to. Yeah. Uh so basically it's it's something that actually is initiated within us, gets misidentified as from being outside. Okay. Um, so that allowed them to be in that that brainwave and basically in that dreamland where he could take parts of his self uh, subconscious and get memories. So the third way they went about trying to activate his memory was uh, through Vicodin overdose. Uh, and Vicodin is an opioid uh, and basically in the body uh, will affect the release of noradrenaline. Uh, noradrenaline in the body is uh, in the brain is something that stimulates wakefulness, muscle tone, respiration among other functions. Yeah. Uh, and basically what happens with opiates is it will stunt uh, noradrenaline and will basically put you into a state of mind where you're kind of asleep, but mm. still kind of pay attention, uh, still kind of paying attention. So okay. putting you in that alpha and that uh, alpha theta. Sounds range. like a, an 8 a.m. physics class. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, if, if you have a natural level of opiates, you are awake, you're paying attention. Uh, but, Vicodin users uh, will actually decrease the uh, concentration of the enzyme that gives you energy okay, uh, and decrease the amount of noradrenaline that is released. So okay. your alertness uh, and your muscle, muscle tone decreases. And one of the really scary things about, um, about opioid users, so anyone on heroin, morphine, or, uh, or on Vicodin in this case, uh, your respiration drops. So your respiration is slower, is more shallow. Mm. So that's why, you know, whenever you think of an OD and you think of people um, dying, that's that's often, if it's an opioid, that's often, sadly, what happens. Mm. Um, so, and the fourth one was them just basically shocking his brain. Oh, yes. I remember that. Deep brain stimulation. So then basically, you know, the brain works on... Like a Frankenstein <laughs> jolt it. Uh, the brain works on electrical signals. So yeah. if you can, you know, jolt it and give it a little bit of electricity at the right spots, you might be able to induce uh, a memory. Yes. But highly uh, unlikely, but. And highly unlikely able to actually get the right spot. Yeah. You're, you're more likely to screw it up. Let's remember this is a show after all. So, you know, the, the real science and fake science. Mm. Well, although, side fact, uh, for Parkinson um, sufferers, 
there is a, a little device that actually does deep brain stimulation and it's literally just inducing a shock in the very specific part of the brain that's degenerating and as a result they can function perfectly well until obviously it fades away and they have to re-stimulate themselves cool yeah it's a little electrical impulse in the in the brain it works cool and so at the end of the episode he find he remembers what he remembers and i'm not gonna i've given you two spoilers already i won't give you a third this one's the end of a, a season and it's okay it's pretty watch the show watch the show okay uh and last but certainly not least we have season four episode five mirror mirror the show begins with a gentleman who gets robbed uh, and he looks like he doesn't even care about his life and he drops to the ground and he starts puking blood and as he's administered to the hospital they very quickly realize that he is taking on the personality of the most dominant figure in the room yeah and I, if i remember the episode correctly they actually were able to see who on the team was the most dominant in whatever situation. That's right. So obviously House, being the alpha male that he is, uh, would walk into the room with everyone else or with other individuals just to test to see if he was still the one being mimicked by the patient. He often was. Obviously he loved it, but anyway. Um, and so, so yes, so they described or they, they diagnosed him with something called Giovannini, mirror syndrome hmm. uh, which is essentially that this person will mimic the um, alpha personality in the room um, and it's a, almost like a psychological disorder i suppose to a certain extent uh, and they've done studies on this uh, apparently uh, there was a gentleman who who had this and they tested it by giving him different scenarios so they they actually let him go to a bar and they had actors that uh, would uh, prompt him for a cocktail and he would uh, pretend like he, all of a sudden he was working there hmm. uh, saying he was he, he come up with f like these amazing stories you know he's he's about to he's about to um, fulfill his two-week uh, bartending thing and uh, you know he's about to he's about to graduate and whatnot they did the same thing with uh, a hospital where he quickly uh, pretended he was part of the hospital kitchen staff crazy uh, so serving people and yeah. So they're able to actually not only believe that they are those people, but actually come up and fabricate stories. It, very elaborate stories, yeah. Which is incredible to think of like your imagination. It's like imagination on crack. <laughs> uh, somehow <laughs> you're exactly just. exactly what it is. It's just all of a sudden you're like, oh, I can totally be all of these things. And I think in that episode, he even p picked up a scalpel thinking he was a surgeon. Yes. Yeah. And so oh. in that episode, he, he was present during one of the surgeries. And of course, he wanted to. Uh, perform whatever you know yeah impossible surgical tasks for him anyway so yeah so, so that's mirror mirror that's mirror mirror uh so the question is sebastian hmm. how can you talk about house and not talk about lupus lupus <laughs> god it's always lupus but yet it's never lupus i think it was lupus like once so what is i, I gotta ask what the hell it's either lupus uh, like you either hear lupus or broad spectrum antibiotics those are like the two things it really is you hear every episode yeah yeah so, once they don't know what it is definitely lupus yeah um so lupus is an autoimmune disease okay uh which is essentially what that means is that your body has an immune system mm -hmm. and this immune system is uh for all intents and purposes the defensive mechanisms against all the viruses the bacteria that you know you encounter hundreds of times a day but oftentimes uh, there are diseases that uh, convince your immune system that 
it's fighting off your own body. Hmm. So your own cells uh, are are misinterpreted for invaders. So basically your body is like, this is a disease when it is just literally a part of your body. That's exactly right. Oof. Um, and so in this case, lupus attacks joints, skin, kidneys, heart, lung, blood vessels, and brain. What is, else is there? <laughs> which is exactly why they think it's lupus every time. Um, yeah, and so in terms of what causes lupus, it's not quite known yet. Uh, but symptoms of it uh, can be fever, rashes, chest pain, hair loss, pale or purple fingers, sensitivity to the sun. I can keep going. I'm going to keep going. Just swelling of the legs, mouth ulcers, swollen glands, feeling tired. So basically... Wait, 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 wait. Those are the major symptoms. Oh, I'm sorry. Secondary, less common symptoms. Headaches, <laughs> dizzy spells, <laughs> feeling sad, confusion, and seizures. Just because they didn't cover them all. Well, you got to make sure you cover all of your bases with lupus. <laughs> so that's why it's always lupus. <laughs> well, there you go. So I guess the other question, Sebastian, is yes. which one was a lie? Oh, which one is the made up? So Should we give like a little quick recap? We'll, we'll, we'll only give the, the episode names. Oh, okay. So the three that I have were... Locked in. Locked in. Okay. With Mos Def. Uh -huh. We had uh, the musical Savant in okay. Half Wit. Okay. And we had House's Head. Uh, yes. And then on my end, we had uh, Fetal Position, which was The Stroke. We had uh, The Tyrant. The Tyrant. Which was Phantom Limb Pain. And we had Mirror Mirror, which is Giovannini Mirror Syndrome. So. And the answer is. Mirror, mirror. Really? Yeah, Giovannini, uh, mirror syndrome. It. Um, so I believe what they did is that there was a very isolated single incident, the one I was talking to you about, about the bar, the bartender and the hospital. Yeah. Um, where this gentleman was mimicking his 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 surroundings, but it's not an official syndrome. Okay. Uh, I think it was one of those isolated case studies, and they said, "Hey, let's just make a syndrome out of this." And I believe Giovannini is the main scientist that led the group in studying this. Okay. Um, so, uh, yes. Yeah, so unfortunately, that is not purely scientific at present. It was kind of made up slightly. So that's pretty much the end of the episode. That's it. I just want to give a big shout out to CHUO for letting us take up their space and Thank letting you very us much. use their, their stuff. They're and, awesome. And uh, you can talk to us uh, yes. on a couple of ways. Uh, we have the Twitter. The Twitter. Uh, at tweet, tweet, tweet. curiosity underscore pod is our Twitter. And for those people that are not so cool and don't have Twitter, uh, we do have an email address as well. Yes, uh, Gmail. Curiosity.pod at gmail.com. Mm. Send us an email. Tell us what you think. Give uh, us ideas. Give us ideas. We're not running out. Uh, never. We'll never run out. I, I listen to too many podcasts. He listens to too many TED Talks. We'll find things to talk about. But, you know, the the goal of this whole show is to, to bring it to people that are interested and so bring interesting topics. So. Fill in the blanks of your mind. Of your mind. <laughs> yeah. All right. So this is us signing off. Ciao. Have a good one. <laughs>